Welcome to the Green Techpreneur Podcast. Today I'll be speaking to Going Green Coffee. They're disrupting an industry that's often rife with exploitation. Coffee is one of the world's most loved beverages, but the coffee growers in the global south themselves are often among the world's poorest. Going Green Coffee plans to disrupt this model while becoming the world's largest producer of Arabica coffee within the next two years. We'll be speaking to their CEO today to find out what they're doing differently. Thank you for joining me on the podcast, Boris. Thank you, for Marianne, for inviting me. Could you start by sharing a little bit about what is unique in what you're building at Green Coffee Company? Well, I believe everything's unique. We are approaching to the coffee business in a different way of uh, what has been normally done. And we decided to do a vertical integration on all the process from the nursery till the end consumer. So we're trying to attack all the chains or the, the parts of the, of the chain that normally they are not approached by growers. We decided to come in or the company was open in 2017. In 2020, we changed the entire focus on the company. Initially, was a, we were just focusing on specialty coffees. But then we decided to go not only for specialty coffees, but we are looking for very high quality end product, yeah. but more as to have the opportunity to produce a consistent coffee cup. That means that every time that you have a cup from our coffees, if you have it today or in six months or in two years, it tastes the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so more or less, that's what we want. But in addition, doing it at scale so yeah. that we were able to manage produce, and also being able to do something that for us is very important is this value share. So anything that we're doing in Colombia, we're based in Colombia or main operations in Colombia in the region of Antioquia, that the name is Salgar region. Everything that we do there, we are not only doing it for us as a company, we're also doing for the growers that are in the neighborhood. Today, we buy from around 250 small growers. We pay them with a difference because what we're trying to do is get out of this normal traits and normal intermediaries and go direct to the consumer so that we are able to pay a better pricing. But in order to do something like that, you have to have a scale. And that's mm-hmm. what we thought in 2020 when we began changing all the, the, the schematic on the company and how we were going to be doing it. Yeah. We decided to do everything in a scale that we could actually be able to produce the nursery, then the coffee cherries, then the coffee parchment, then the green coffee, then being able to rust and go direct to the consumers in mass markets, supermarkets in the U.S. and around the world. And that's what we are doing. So we have been having a very good results on, on all the, those chains that we have developed. That's why we are so unique, because nobody else in Colombia is doing it. And just there are a little efforts with small amounts. Yeah. that are able to go direct. But in, in this size that we have today, we have more than 3,000 hectares in production, more than 12.5 million trees of coffee from our own, plus the ones that we buy from the product that we buy from third parties. So it, that's the uniqueness of, of what we do there. Yeah. No, I really believe this is unique because I've spoken to you know other people who have been trying to figure out how to disrupt the coffee industry albeit on a smaller scale right because it's a problem that a lot of people are are aware of and i think you really 
hit the nail on the head by saying, actually, in order to change this exploitative model where you have multiple intermediaries and the farmers get a, you know, 1% of the end profit and then it's repackaged five times and rebranded and, and sold somewhere, you know, what we need actually is for real disruption to occur. You can't just change one small part of the supply chain, right? And expect that to make a massive difference. You've actually got to go all in, own the supply chain, cut out the intermediaries, and create that change on a larger scale. So you have 9,000 acres and 12.5 million coffee trees. And within two years, you plan on becoming the biggest producer of Arabica coffee in the world. What kind of growth will you need to see in order for that to happen? Well, really, we have done all the effort already. It's like when you thought in in 2020, when we began the, the increase of production, we thought it's going to be taking us like three years to be the largest in Colombia. It took us only one and a half year. Today, we are like three times larger than the second largest producer in Colombia. On the records, what we have, it's that the largest Arabica producer in the world is Ipanema in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And they have 13 million trees and we are okay. at 12.5. Wow. So it's, the difference is not big right now. We are yeah. easily to go and grow just to have you an insight. By the end of this year, we will be having more or less 13 and a half to 14 million trees planted, not in production, but already planted. That means next year for the crop of 2024, we will have the, four, the 13 and a half million trees in production. Wow. So it's going to be quick, that jump. But it's we are cool. not stopping it into 13 and a half million trees. Mm-hmm. We are, all our goal is to go a little bit further. We are going to be having more or less 5,000 hectares of producing hectares. That means we will have around 7,000 hectares in total with all the forestry and all the what we need to protect the forestry and all the areas that we have to protect in order to have it. But that means in less than two years, we're going to be, well, a little bit bigger than we will have like 20 million trees or something like that. So it's, it's we're going to be in, the, in a large scale. And in addition, we're targeting it only with our own production. That doesn't mean that we are not commercializing. We'll be commercializing tree, uh, coffee for around another 300 or 400 for small farmers in each region where we are. So that's our targets in the next years. So we are improving almost everything that we have been doing in general in production, yeah. being thinking completely outside of the box. When we began with this, the, the wet mills in the coffee business were like going back into the 1910s, nineteen. Mm-hmm. 19- 20s and we have today state-of-the-art wet mills with fully automatized wet mills new technology so that we have traceability and we have consistency but we are putting that in all the steps of the chain so we are being disruptive in how we do the nursery being disruptive in how we do the 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 wet mill being disruptive in how we do the dry milling Mm -hmm. and right now the next step is being disruptive in the roastery itself so we are partnering with the largest roaster producers in the world, Neuhaus Neotech, we have been working with uh, Probat and all, to be absolutely thinking different. What we can improve in all this on the design mm-hmm. so that we have less cost of operation so that we can give a better pricing to the grower. So it's price reduction all over the chain. So, and that's what we have in focus. And then we are partnering with very large companies in the U.S. to be able to get into the mass market, supermarkets, but all having this in mind. So being able to sell to the end consumer what we are doing so that really we reduce all these gaps 
that we have been seeing across production so that we can then pay a fair price. That really the, the producer, with additional that producer, the, the ones that are in our neighbors, they receive a fair price. But also being able to pay the fair salary to our workers. And 100% of our workers are formal employed with fringe and benefits, with insurance, medical insurance, health insurance. We give them the entire clothing for working. They only work five days a week, not seven days a week, but all, as all the other workers in the area, they work five days a week, seven to eight hours a day, depending on the day, because we have 42 hours per week work time in Colombia, and we are reducing it to 40. So we're giving them the entire formal benefits for an employee. And that's not normal in the agribusiness or not normal in the coffee business itself in the world. So we are doing everything on a different way. And we believe that the only way that we can do it is if we maintain a price that we don't go into the commodity market. We have to always think on having a differential price that we are able to get. That's why we jumped into the roasted, because we didn't want to sell commodities that today it's wonderful, 165 plus, plus the differential, we're getting a normal decent price. But if you go to, to a place where we are at 90 cents, $1 per pound of coffee, and still the roasters are selling it, you buy a, a bag of coffee in the US at 12.99 in the supermarket, and those are only 12 ounces. Well, who's getting the money? Not the growers. And they are doing everything. So we have to, we're trying to go back with them and giving them the correct payments. And for us as all growers, we want to have the correct payment for our product, but still maintaining quality, trustability, and all the things sustainable. We have been reducing the usage of water. It's like the traditional grower uses like 80 liters per water to produce one kilogram of parchment. We use 1.8 liters. 1.8 liters. Yeah. And we are reducing it. On the next technology, the new wet mill that we are implementing next year, we think that we can go to less than 0.8 wow. liters of water. So I just want to repeat that. You said that traditionally, what was the statistic? It's 80 liters of water? 80, yeah. Okay, and can you share a little bit about your journey to getting involved with Green Coffee Company? It's a funny business because I'm a biological systems engineer. I have all my life started or worked with, I have had always relations with the agribusiness, mm -hmm. but not in coffee. I was in the flower business. I was um, on sales and marketing flowers for 10 years, 12 years. Then I went to work with investment attraction agencies in Latin America, bringing investors to Latin America and the agribusiness and other regions. And before I came into the green coffee company, I was working with a university as the vice dean for biological systems engineering. So I was in the research area. So I was, um, meanwhile, I was also doing some consultancy for small companies and working with them, organizing them. And I was working also with the palm oil Colombian palm oil industry that was uh, making some changes on, uh, on reputation and sustainability. So I was helping them also out in that. By a headhunter and uh, contacted by the, the guys from Legacy Group of Colin Adam. And they invited me part of the group. We were discussing about all these changes that we were talking and all how they want to change the industry. And I said, well, that's what I have been waiting for. That's what I have been trying to do on the last 10 years on palm oil, on agribusiness in Latin America. And it's the only way that we really will be able to change the culture in Colombia or to give back this possibility to get an income for the growers. So when we were talking about all these changes, all this possibility to do the entire virtualization of the industry and getting back in a very profitable company, but also being profitable for everybody, I was like, this is my next step. This is the, the way that I want to go. 
And, and that's why I jumped into it immediately. I was, I didn't think too much. <laughs> it was a no brainer on, yeah. on what I wanted. So at the end I, I came in and well, I can tell you those three last years, three and a half last years with pandemic and everything, they have been amazing. We have developed so many things that that's unbelievable what we have done, being able to do in the last three, three years. Yeah. And what were some of the difficult parts of the journey? Yeah, when you begin with these challenges, it's like at the beginning when we, we didn't have the money to do the investments, and but still we knew that we had to put the wet mills and each of our wet mills is a $2.5 million investment minimum between $2.5 million and $3 million investments. And we didn't have the money at the moment that we were on, on the, looking for investors and looking for loans and that kind of things. And we were like, okay, what we do? And then we did a pre-loan with the banks and those were hassles that we find out. But at the end, when we were able to finalize them and we had it, it was like a me. And then changing the way, because Columbia itself, the grower is not used to have a centralized wet milling facility. Mm-hmm. So each one of the wet mills of the, of the producers, they do their own wet mill. And the efficiencies are very low. Mm-hmm. So convincing them that they have to go and really sell to us the cherries instead of doing them so that we could have traceability, consistency, uh, quality. They were not prepared when we began. It has been two years of training, teaching. At first year, we had like 10 growers, then 20 growers. Right now, we have more than 200. That, those are the journeys that are a little bit complex. This changing of culture, of taking them and explaining the, the growers how we are doing it, how we are approaching to it, and really changing the way that we are giving information to them because you're changing cultures. So these cultural barriers that they have in the past that you want to change, those are the, the complex parts of what we are having, uh, finding. But at the end, it's, well, it's working on that. It's an interesting takeaway maybe for people who are disrupting supply chains in general, right, is the education and the change part actually involves a cultural change and that can take time. And I suppose you said it took you two years of, it must have been a lot of patience and a lot of work, a lot of explanation. Patience, explanation, having guys going to each one of the farmers, explaining them because they believe that you're taking the money out of them because they're not doing it, but explaining them that you're going to be reducing the cost and they're getting better pricing out of it and showing them by each individual trade that we were giving them a better pricing. And still, some of them, they still do some wet milling at their facilities to compare if what we are doing, it's the correct or not. And always they come back. What we have seen, if they begin to sell us, they always come back. It's a cultural change. It's a cultural change. Yeah, I guess it's just getting people to try somewhere, start somewhere. And then when they see the real impact and the benefits, then it becomes a no-brainer, right, to continue. Yeah, exactly. And what about the buyer side of the market? What was it like to break into there? It's Well, coffee is something that you can sell very easy. Green coffee. The parchment, we began with internal sales in Colombia to some of the exporters. Mm-hmm. Then we began directly to sell into the U.S. to some of the importers. So we jumped the exporters. And we are just beginning. We launched our brand this last year in Abira, mm-hmm. on December, in the internet. And we are beginning to do off white label to third parties. So a lot of what we are doing right now is white label. We're increasing, we're growing. We're first in the first stages. So we began just to, to do this own brand through internet. So we have it in the internet. We sell a Gallo de Oro. That's another of our old brands. We sell it to Amazon and Abira in abiracoffee.com. So we sell it over there. But we are beginning right now with some 
large discussions with wide label companies and brokers. That's going to be a huge. That's we are seeing on the fourth quarter of this year, more or less, we will be able to sell around 15 million pounds of coffee, roasted coffee. If everything goes as planned, we're going to be hitting the correct numbers by the end of the year. And we're working towards that. We are organizing everything. We have the correct partners. It has been a, a path to get the correct people in. We have been looking for our sales guy in the U.S. for roasted coffee. We have been organizing structure for delivery, and we have been taking it very serious step by step so that when we open it, we don't damage relations. More or less, that's what all, the key important part. Because if you are not open an important relation with the supermarket, and yet you are not going to be able to deliver, you're going to be damaging the relation forever. So what we have been doing is organizing everything that as soon as we open the relation, we have an open flow of product that we can supply with no issues. We have already our roasters, meanwhile, contract roasters in the US. Meanwhile, we construct our own. It will take us 24 months to construct our own. But meanwhile, we have contract roasters. We have all the relations so that we can go forward on that. Yeah, I think that's when you're started building a business in general. It's getting all the moving parts in place at the right time, at the same time that it's needed. <laughs> is a real yeah. skill you know you you can just say okay let's go you know we need a launch we need to do this but then if you don't have all the rest of the pieces lined up to make it really smooth i think especially in something as large scale as what you're doing right that's very important feat in itself so you said and you're building your own roasters now we're on the process of designing the roasters we have been one year in designing process we already have more or less the finalized idea we're still reviewing if we do a green operation from zero, or if we buy a third party that already has roasters. But everything is toward we do a, a greenfield. We have been talking with several people, but what we have on, on production and how we manage the dry milling in Colombia is different to the rest of the people. So we are designing all the dry mill for our own roasters so that we have the quality already pre-selected, pre-packed in big bags or in full containers. And then we are designing the roaster to be able to do fully automatized roasting of the big bags and the con full containers. So uh, then we will be doing that large investment. It's going to be around a 25 to $26 million investment in the roastery. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's great. I just want to ask, I know that you have a way of reusing the actual, the coffee, what was it called? The cherry or the you're reusing them? I'm yeah. We're trying to approach every single step of the production with circular economy concepts. Yes. So we are reviewing every, every place that we have a waste, we convert that waste into a way of getting an additional industrial benefit out of it or really, really a revenue out of it. Mm -hmm. So we are reviewing different stages and we wanted to have quick wins. So in cherry cascara, when you produce a kilogram of parchment, that means you need five kilograms of cherries. Yes. From the five kilograms of cherries that you require more or less, two and a half are garbage mm -hmm. or cherry cascara. So you can use it for creating like fertilizing, but that's not the most effective way. Mm -hmm. But still you contaminate some, you make some contaminants. And when you have a small farmer that only has one hectare, that's not a problem. Yeah. But when you're producing 250 tons per day of cherry cascara, you have to look for something to do with it. Mm -hmm. So we were like looking on what are the best possible ways of work then. So we have really, we have three ways right now. The first one that we decided is production of ethanol. Mm -hmm. So we are doing a fermentation on the, where really we're pressing the cherry cascara. We're getting a cherry juice, high in sugars. We're doing a fermentation on that and we are producing pure neutral ethanol. Then we are going to be commercializing next year into spirituals. 
So a type of vodka or a type of gin, or we can do whatever we want with that. It's going to be a four times destillate, very high-end destillate. That's why I'm also in Germany, actually. I'm visiting the guys that are doing the, the distillery, contract that a distillery, a company here in Germany to produce the distillery for us. Then the second stage is produce cascada flour. It might be used as coadjutant or uh, they use it for bakery and uh, human feed and animal feed too. So we're putting together a new system that's going to be quicker in the market. We might have it for the end of the year mm-hmm. and we will have like a flour, a cascada coffee flour that you can use it as a, an additive for different industries. Yeah. So that's something that's coming. Mm-hmm. And the third use is to... After we do the fermentation and we have this pressed pulp, we will dry it and we will put it through a pyrolysis system so that we can create biochar and produce energy. So we are trying to have as much of recovery of the energy that we can from the system. Yeah, that's so, so wow. Four really valuable use cases. We have got the, the ethanol, animal feed through the coffee flour and biochar, which can produce energy. What I find really fascinating about this transition to a circular economy is that there are so many uses for things that we would typically just throw away. And it's across every sector. And it makes so much business sense. It's not just good for the environment, but it makes business sense not to throw things away, you know, but to find ways to reuse it and produce more. And so the transition to a circular economy, it makes business sense at the same time as being better for people and profit. It just requires a bit of innovation, a bit of imagination, a lot of determination because it's never easy to disrupt or yeah. change. <laughs> mainly, I, I would say mainly determination because technology is there for the imagination, technology is there for almost everything. And as I said, I'm a biological systems engineer. So for me, it's very easy to see something that's alive and convert it to another thing. So yeah. when I see that those opportunities, I quickly react. But it's really determination. It's to have and the team. Normally, when you come in a company and you try to tell the company, hey, I want to do the circular economy thing, that I'm going to be converting all the trash that I'm having that's a bioorganic material into energy. Everybody looks at you and says, you're crazy. Here, we always think, okay, how can we do it better? That's our mode on the company. How can we disrupt what we're doing? What has not been done that we can see out of it? And how quick can we do it? And always we have the cost there in, in, in the conversation. Okay, it's going to be too high, expense, too expensive or not. But if we see the opportunity, it's like the distillery. The distillery, we are investing $10 million on the distillery equipment. But we are seeing the opportunity that we get after the investment with yeah. the site that we have. We said immediately... That's a no-brainer investment. Yes. Yeah. We will recover it in two years, in less than two years. So we have to do it. That's the mindset that we need more of. Less resistance to change and more seeing it as an opportunity and looking for the opportunities mm-hmm. and being willing to fight for it, right? <laughs> exactly. I want to wrap up with a, a couple final personal questions. Well, what three adjectives would you use to describe your green coffee company journey? Three attributes. Well, it has been a passionate journey, yeah. more or less. I would say innovation has to be there. Yeah. And the last one is trustability. Mm-hmm. Because everything that we do has to have a, a measure, a way to measure it, a way to impact, and a way to have it, the trustability of what we do. Additional to thinking out of the box and all those things that normally we do, but it's like putting everything into three words is like very complex. Yeah, <laughs> And what's your mantra or life philosophy? Well, it's the way on, I'm Catholic. So the thing is, everything that I do is I want to do it because I want to go to heaven or I want to be a saint. 
So as a worker, I do the best that I can do it there. As a family man, I do the best that I can do it as a family man. I try to be the best husband that's possible to be or the best father that it's possible to be to be because I want to go to heaven. And the only way that you can get go to heaven in, in, in my way of culture is, or what I think is, is to everything according to perfection, to looking perfection or perfection not but goodness, not talking about perfection. So I always effort to do the right things and the good thing and do as, as, bad, as best as possible. When I was a kid and my father always told us, and, and he was a very good guy to guide you or a very good guide, he always told us, you can be a, the garbage guy, the guy that uh, puts the garbage into the garbage truck, but always be the best on what you do. Put all your effort to be the best. And that's my mantra. It's like always put passion and the best that you can do it on you, what you're doing and try to be the best guy to do it. If you want to cook, do it, but put all your effort so that always it's the best food that you can prepare the one that you're doing. That's my mantra. I, I love it. There's too many average businesses out there, right? Or yeah. average, uh, when you can really see a difference when, when a business has passion and someone puts mm-hmm. their full heart into it. Final question. If you could teleport yourself mm-hmm. into the future and be anywhere doing anything, where would you be and why? I would say doing the same. What I, I would say it's uh, what I'm doing today. It makes me want to go further. It makes me, well, in general, not, not only in the company, but with my family, with everything, it makes me that I'm going in the correct path. So I would say I would go to the next, well, if it would be 10 years in ahead, my kids are going to be growing older, the company is going to be bigger. But I would say still, I would be doing the same things, putting all the effort together so that we get a better understanding of everything, but also giving something that I have been fighting for is shared value. If I can give the community back what they are giving to me, I'll be growing too. So that's my goal in the next years. And that's what I want to go into the, into the future. So I would say we're doing the same. It's like, it's going to be different because it's going to be grower and bigger and whatever, but doing the same. That's when you know you have a true passion for something. <laughs> when you see it as something, you know, you can do for another 10 or 20 years down the line. Okay, well, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Mariana, thank you for inviting us. And well, it's been great to talk with you and share with you a little bit about Green Coffee Company. Nice to speak to you.